Uh, Father, we thank you for um, your goodness and mercy to us. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have come to this world in uh, Jesus and you've revealed yourself to us in him. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us now. Help me to be clear. And we thank you for this opportunity to uh, get to know you more, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you might remember that there was an old, I'm talking like 20, 30 years here, uh, there's an old, old chorus and it went, by, went like this. It said, they know we are Christians by our love. If you remember that, they know we are, we are Christians by our love. It's inspired by the words that Jesus said to his disciples on, the, on his final night with them. Uh, in, the, in the third century, this was well and truly the attitude of Christians in the city of Alexandria in Egypt as the city suffered from a, a terrible plague. According to Dionysus the Great, it was the followers of Jesus who had the most compassion on the sick and the dying, even at cost of their own lives. Here's what he wrote. I'll read it out to you. Most of, the, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life extremely happy. Many, in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. Why would they do such a thing? What accounts for the extraordinary love that Christians showed to the dead and the dying? Let me give you a more um, up, updated uh, example. Why did Dr Ken Elliott and his wife Jocelyn spend 43 years in Western Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, helping the poor, healing the sick, uh, starting up a new hospital, even at great risk their own lives? In fact, in January 2016, we, read that, we, we heard that the, they were kidnapped by Muslim extremists and Jocelyn was released about a, a month later but uh, Ken is still being held captive. Why would they do such a thing? Why, why would these followers of Jesus show extraordinary love, even at the risk of their own lives? Well, the answer is they've been forgiven. A life of love is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. A life of love is the grateful response of a sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And nowhere is, do we see this connection between love and forgiveness more clearly than the account uh, that Joan read to us in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus had this meal with this Pharisee and it's interrupted by this woman who anoints Jesus' feet. We see a clear contrast between the extravagant love of this forgiven sinner and the scornful contempt of this self-righteous man. So, if you've got a Bible there, um, have it open to Luke chapter 7. That'll be really helpful. Um, much of it will be up on the screen as well. In verse 36, we're told this incident occurs at a Pharisee's house. His name's Simon, we find out later on. Now, we're not told why Jesus got this invitation. Maybe, uh, maybe Simon was a little bit curious about this Jesus bloke. Uh, Maybe he thought he might get some brownie points from the Pharisees club, I don't know, uh, by inviting Jesus over, this well-known teacher. Maybe uh, he just wanted to check out Jesus' credentials, you know, check out that he really was the prophet that they thought that people were saying he was. 
Well, Jesus accepted. We know that Jesus is willing to eat with anyone, uh, even, a ta- even a tax collector, even a Pharisee. Well, as they were settling into the meal, something surprising happened, uh, shocking even. And we pick it up from verse 37. Uh, here, the NIV actually leaves out, uh, I think, something pretty important. It leaves out, and behold. Now, the ESV has it. But it's a shock. It's a surprise. And behold, we could say, wow, what, what, is, what is this? I don't know. How do you, how do you express the shock and su- surprise? Uh, how about that? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> verse 37 says, I'm going to put it in. And behold, when a woman, you know, we've got it up on the screen, um, so six, when a, uh, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the, at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster, uh, alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and per- poured perfume on them. Now, it, it, it helps to know a little bit about these types of meals as we're looking at this series, Meals with Jesus, these types of meals or dinner parties in, in the first century, uh, biblical times, um, it was an open, plor, open floor plan, that's what I want to say, uh, most likely outside in a, in a courtyard. Now, I, I do like this picture, although you can't, I don't know if you can see it very well. Um, that's a pity. It's, it's this Christ of the house of Simon the Pharisee by that bloke in the 18th century. Um, but we're, we're, I think he gets it quite light if he can see that. Let me describe a bit what was going on. So most likely outside in a courtyard, the meal would be um, semi-public, a bit like a street party almost, but with invitations. Not really a private dinner that you could go off and um, off into a private room somewhere. It's not like we would do it at home, say. Now, because this Pharisee or Pharisees are generally wealthy, this is the type of food they had. Now, I did say last week I was going to have particularly stinky food. That's next week. Um, This one's okay, but I wouldn't go and taste this afterwards. It's been sitting there for about two hours and the chicken's not so good anymore. Um, And wine, children, stay away. But if you want some wine at at this hour in the morning, well, you probably shouldn't. Um, so this is the sort of thing. So there's some tahini here, something like that they'd put on, on bread and, and, uh, and, and meat. Chicken, well, that, that's a... I, I actually wanted to get some goat. But goat's really hard to find in Robertson on a Saturday afternoon, unless I found a real goat, and then that would cause problems with the law. But um, so I wanted some goat. Goats and, or chicken, it's, meat's expensive. Wealthy house, so on. Cucumber, some tomatoes, some olives, that sort of thing, um, some, uh, some flatbread. So that's the type of meal. And, of course, some wine. Uh, and that, that's, uh, that's a type of meal that probably they would have, would have expected, something like that anyway. Uh, not a Passover meal. That's in a couple of weeks' time. That, that's lamb and so forth. Uh, that'll be very tasty. I look forward to that. Um, so that, that's the type of thing we're expecting here. Now, now, what was common in these types of dinner parties was for people to stop by for a chat. So it's outside, it's sort of semi-public, you're walking by, hey, you know, Maximus, I don't know, <laughs> thinking of a name. I'm going to stop by and have a chat and uh, we're just going, hey, how are you going? And they, they pull up a chair and they're not, not invited, they're not eating, they're just stopping by for a chat. Uh, the other thing that was common too was that if you walked by, you, you could sit around the courtyard and watch. Now, I think that's a bit disconcerting if you ask me, someone always watching behind you as you're eating your food. But there you go, that's what would, what would happen. Those were common things, but what was not common was a woman like this showing up and doing what she did for Jesus. 
That was not common. Now, we don't know her name. Uh, some have suggested that it's Mary Magdalene, but there's really no good evidence for that. Uh, we don't m know much about her. But what we do know is that we're told that she's a notorious sinner. Luke says it in verse 37. The Pharisee says it in verse 39. Uh, Jesus says it in verse 47. We're not told what type of sin. Now, the Pharisee's choice of words in his accusation, uh, perhaps referring to her reputation, he says, um, touching him. You know, she, he, he doesn't know who is touching him. That might give us an insight into what people thought of her and her type of reputation. But in the end, it doesn't really matter. Sin is sin. That's what we're told. And that's why she comes to Jesus. She comes to find Jesus because she knew that Jesus was a friend of sinners. That was his reputation. And when she finds Jesus, she's overwhelmed. At first, uh, just standing at his feet, uh, probably not knowing what to do next. What do I do? Here he is. What do I do? Uh, do I touch him? Do I sort of <coughs> clear my throat? Do I kick his feet a bit? Uh, how do I get his attention? What, what do I do? Now, Jesus would have been facing outward, his feet facing outward, sort of reclining on his left elbow um, around a circle. That's why that picture back then was, I think, pretty good. Uh, she probably thought about all the wrong things she'd done. But somehow she knew that Jesus had mercy on her. And the tears flowed. Uh, tears of relief, uh, gratitude, joy. Why did she cry? Well, she was overwhelmed by the grace of God. She was overwhelmed by the grace God had given her in Jesus Christ. And so she wept tears with gratitude of sin forgiven. This was not tears to get something back. Uh, this was tears because of what she had already been given. We'll come back to that in a minute, actually. But as her tears fell, they, they fell on Jesus' feet. So without thinking, she wiped, she wiped them and she did it with her hair. It was one thing to turn up uninvited to a, to a, um, a meal like this at a Pharisee's house with her reputation. But it was another thing altogether to let her hair down. You don't do that. That was shameful in public, but she couldn't care less. She couldn't care. She was with Jesus, the, the, her saviour. Her Lord, the forgiver of her sin, the one who loves her, the one that she loves. And she didn't stop there, did she? In a way, she was a little like Levi. Remember Levi from last week? Levi wanted to honour Jesus and he did that with a great banquet, a great meal. Whereas this woman wanted to honour Jesus with expensive perfume. It was a gesture of humility, taking the position of a servant, washing her master's feet and anointing Jesus' feet with perfume in astonishing affection, with tears of joy and relief, she kissed his feet. She kissed his feet. Like the perfume she poured, she poured out her heart. That's the extravagant love of a forgiven sinner. See, friends, following Jesus is not, it's not just a head thing. We need to hear this. Intellectual, academic, wordy, uh, some might accuse some Christians of. 
It's a heart thing as well. In response to God's incredible grace, it is right to be overwhelmed emotionally at times. Our hearts filled with thanks. How could God forgive me? A sinner such as me. A wretched sinner I am. I'm speaking for myself here. How could he do that? Just incredible. But we need to get the order right. See, this emotion stems from what we know. What we know, God's forgiveness, the assurance of salvation, ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, to quote a wonderful old hymn, that what we know then fuels our hearts. It fuels our emotions. It fuels what we feel, just like it did with this woman. Well, what about this Pharisee then, uh, Simon, in verse 39? This Pharisee's response is in direct contrast with the woman, isn't it? Uh, He's offended by the woman and what she's doing. He's embarrassed by her outward display of emotion. He's judgmental. He was righteous. They were the sinners. He looked down with scorn and contempt on this woman and anyone like her. So verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. But it wasn't just the woman that he treated with contempt. It was Jesus too, wasn't it? The prophets don't associate with sinners. He thought to himself, for him, you see, religion was all about being good. God was for good people, not for people whose lives were a mess. How wrong he is. A righteous man should not have contact with sinners. So if Jesus were a real prophet, he'd he'd know. He'd know better than to let this woman touch him. The Pharisee was maintaining, he thought he was maintaining the highest level of moral standards. But in reality, he was graceless, he was merciless, uh, he was loveless. One commentator uh, said this, oh that's a great quote. He said, this man had an arctic heart. A permafrost of the soul. Right now that sounds lovely, doesn't it? Ooh, outside it's pretty warm. But I think you know what he's saying. (laughs) An arctic heart. He was cold. A cold heart toward this woman. The only thing he could give, only thing he could do with sinners was to condemn them. He had no grace to give. See, as as Luke records this dinner, he wants us to see two responses to Jesus, doesn't he? Two contrasting attitudes to sin and grace. Two contrasting people. There's, there's the, the, the Pharisee of high social uh, position and there's the woman who's an outcast. There's Pharisee who's the host and the uninvited guest. There's the one who's angry, the Pharisee. And there's the, the woman who's overwhelmed and overcome with joy. The Pharisee's still evaluating Jesus and then there's the woman who's decided to trust in Jesus and give her in, her entire life. But... But here's the fundamental contrast. Here's the fundamental difference between the two of them. Only one of them believed that God had grace for sinners. Only one of them believed that. Even without saying a word, the woman proved by her actions that she trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of her sins. But the Pharisee had no room for grace in his uh, theology. He believed that grace was unavailable to sinners like this woman and unnecessary for righteous people like himself. Now, I wonder which of the two you are more like. 
saying to yourself, hmm, Graham, that's a bit offensive. Uh, I'm not like the Pharisee at all. And I'd probably say, yeah, you're probably right. But let's do a little test, shall we? Of course, I include myself in this little test. See, one way to test our grasp of God's grace is to see how, how we respond to non-believers, what this passage might call uh, sinners. What we say about them, how we treat them, what we do or fail to do to touch their lives with the love of Jesus indicates our true understanding of God and his grace. Now, sadly, for some Christians, they can be a little like the Pharisee. They won't touch sinners and they won't let sinners touch them. But followers of Jesus are commanded to do otherwise, aren't we? To share the love of Christ with people who need his grace. In the same way he has loved us, touched our own lives, we are called to reach out with his love. So, the love of Christ is to govern our response to the girl at school who has a bad reputation with boys. The love of Christ is to govern our response to the struggling family who are caught in addictions and bad choices. The love of Christ is to govern our response to the openly gay couple, to the family member who scorns the gospel, to the homeless, to the wife who's been abused, to the refugee, the outcast. The love of Christ compels the Christian to build relationship with sinners, to love them. So, do you see, do you see what makes the difference? Why she loved and he didn't. You're starting to see that? I hope you are. Jesus wanted Simon to understand it as well. So verse 40, Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now this says Simon's going, yes, good. About time we can prove that he is a prophet like everyone says. I'm all ears. Jesus says, well, two, two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 50, uh, 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Well, Simon replied, and I think rather, rather cautiously, because it's a fairly straightforward question. He says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. And Jesus says, you've judged correctly. Simon goes, phew, all right. Uh, Then, now he applies the parable, verse 44. He turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Of course Simon saw the woman. It's right there in front. But he wanted Simon to see this woman the way God sees her, not the way she used to be. Jesus wanted Simon to look at himself too. So he says, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Simon had done nothing for Jesus. In his rudeness and inaction, he showed about as much contempt for Jesus as he did for this woman. Rather than honouring Jesus, Simon treated him with arrogant indifference. Simon may have been religious, but he had no love for Jesus. In contrast, the woman did everything she could for Jesus. No water, but tears to wash his feet. No kiss on the cheek, but instead she kissed his feet and wiped them with her hair. The woman surpassed the Pharisee in every respect. 
What made the difference? What made the difference? Well, to Jesus, the answer was obvious. She had been forgiven. So verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven loves little. Forgiven little, loves little. You see, it's the forgiven who make the best lovers. That, sound, that sounded a bit saucy, didn't it? But I think you know what I mean. The forgiven who make the best lovers. They're the ones who love. The more someone has been forgiven, the more they love. Even Simon admitted that back in verse 43 after Jesus tells the parable, as he answers that question. The woman's love, her extravagant love for Jesus, proved that the great debt of her sin had been forgiven. Her gratitude was proof that she had received God's grace. Let me illustrate this just for a minute. When we say it's raining because the windows are wet, well, that does not mean that the water on the windows is the, co- is the cause of the rain, does it? Rather, the water on the windows is evidence of the rain. Her love is evidence or proof of God's grace in her life. But reading verse 47, you might think, well, hold on. Um, that might lead us to think that her love was the cause of her forgiveness. For she loved much, it says. Perhaps then love combined with faith, that enables forgiveness. Well, not according to Jesus, no. And not according to the Bible. Jesus is not saying that. For one, the point of the parable and everything else Jesus has said to Simon was that her love was the proof of her prior forgiveness. Her debt of sin had been paid. In fact, really, if we want to get a little bit technical, her, her, the better translation of verse 47 reads, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. That's a better way to, 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 to uh, look at that verse. But then why in verse 48, and I think I've got it up on the screen here as well, why in verse 48 did Jesus say your sins are forgiven after all that had gone on? She's already, if she's already forgiven, why does Jesus say that? Her actions, and her actions proved that she was. Why did Jesus say that, say that again? Well, I think there's two reasons, very quickly. To assure the woman that her conversion and forgiveness was real and sure. That's the first reason why I think Jesus says that. It seems sometime previously she had heard Jesus preach and teach. She'd heard the gospel and she'd responded in faith. Uh, she'd possibly even met Jesus. Remember, Jesus knew of her. Jesus knew of her many sins. So Jesus had met her, probably had met her at some point, at least heard of her in terms of um, in that town. Maybe they met, uh, maybe she was there and heard Jesus teach on the mountainside when, when Jesus uh, spoke about building our house on the rock. And that is Jesus himself. Maybe, um, maybe she was there in that crowded room when the, the, the friends lowered their paralytic through the roof and Jesus said to the paralytic, uh, rise up, uh, stand up, take your mat and walk. Um, she, he healed him and forgave his sin. Maybe that's, that's where they met, who knows. And perhaps she had got close to Jesus to thank him before as they walked through the streets of Capernaum. Who knows? But this opportunity now, ah, this was too good to, to miss. Uh, she had to, had, couldn't pass this one up. So your sins are forgiven. Jesus wanted to assure her of God's forgiveness of her sin. Second, I think Jesus says your sins are forgiven to this woman to show those listening in, and verse 49 refers to a bunch of people sitting around the, the courtyard watching in, you know, looking at the meat, uh, to show those people, to tell those people who, who he really is, that he really has the power to forgive sin that it really had the authority to forgive sins. 
So we can be clear that Jesus is not uh, that that she is not saved or forgiven because of the love she showed, but by her trust or, or faith in Jesus. Like we read in the rest of the Bible, something different going on here. Uh, love comes later as a response to our forgiveness. As Jesus makes clear in verse uh, 50, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So friends, have your sins been forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ? If, if not, you're not sure, well, come to Jesus today. Come to him today. Uh, come to the one whose arms are wide open and who wants to forgive. But if you have been forgiven by Jesus... What extravagant love are you, are you showing Jesus in return? The reality is most of us feel pretty loveless towards our loving and forgiving saviour. If you're anything like me, uh, challenging this week, preparing this sermon. Uh, Jesus is not here to kiss his feet and pour perfume on them. Um, it's okay. But perhaps there are other ways we can show Jesus our love for him. We can sing with great praise, uh, with passion, We can speak words of affection in our prayers. We can honestly and with full hearts confess our sin. Don't just say the words. And we can show love to Jesus by reaching out to other sinners who need his grace, just like we we do. People that no one else would touch. How about I pray and uh, we'll see if there's any comments or questions and um, we'll leave it there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you um, uh, that you sent Jesus. Uh, Lord, we thank you that we have forgiveness in Jesus. We thank you that he died on the cross to make that, that, that sure and real and make that possible. Lord, we pray that we can come to you in faith. Uh, Lord, we, uh, we thank you for the example of this woman. Please help us not to be like this Pharisee. Um, Lord, it's a bit of a, it is a challenge and at times we, we're reluctant to talk to people who are not or, or deal with people or who are not like us, but Lord, we don't want to be like that. Um, as people who follow Jesus, we want to be like Jesus. So Lord, we, we pray for your, your give us the, the strength, uh, fill us with your spirit as we, as we are, are challenged by these things. Uh, thank you, Lord Jesus, for the good things you give us. Amen.